Hi, baby. It's me. I'm driving to work. If I don't talk to you, I'll just talk to you this evening when I get off. It'll be late. So I love you very much, and I will talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Hey. Wake up. Wake up. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on the Social Yet Distance podcast. My name is Jack Varnell. I'll be the host today. And we are going to get some business out of the way, knock out our sponsorships, um, and we'll have a break for that again later on. But for now, we're going to touch base with a couple of our sponsors. Yes, we have sponsors, so please listen through, like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Thanks, and we'll be back in a few minutes with Austin Davis. Okay, welcome to the Social Yet Distance podcast. My name is Jack Barnell, and I'd like to say thanks for coming and spending a little time with us tonight. We are going to be chatting with Austin Davis. Um, He's a poet, a student activist, um, and we're going to let him tell you a lot more about himself. Um, The main thing that we'd like to talk about is... um, To be honest, we're going to talk about some interesting things. That's all I can tell you. I'll just leave it at that. And then, of course, we're going to talk about his newest book, um, which is called uh, The World Isn't the Size of Our Neighborhood Anymore. And then there was Celestial Nightlight, uh, which was also released last year. Um, And then um, we'll find out what else is going on. So that's that. Thanks for tuning in. And hello, Austin Davis. How's it going, brother? Hey, Jack. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's more Bright, than... Brightens my night to talk to you every time. Oh, it's more than my pleasure. And uh, you're being way more than kind. Um, so did I get everything right on the books? I, it seems like in the back of my mind, there's something else that's going on, too. I just want to cover that while, since I mentioned it. Is that true? Yeah, those are those are my latest, my last two books. I'm okay, working on a cool. full length uh, that I'm hoping will come out in the next year or two, but you know who knows. <laughs> and I, I wrote this little little book of poems uh, uh, about my experiences with uh, the unsheltered that I'm hoping to have come out this summer. But again, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, the world isn't the size of our neighborhood anymore. And Celestial Nightlight are the last two projects that, that came out. And that was all, that was twenty er, early 2020, early to mid. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think that that's, um, that's great. And if you're on track already to um, have another thing or two published, then, you know, that means that you're obviously going to the John Dorsey School of Poetry Writing. But, uh... <laughs> oh, man, he, he publishes a book every couple months and they're all amazing. Like, I don't know how he does it, but see, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not at the, the John Dorsey level, but well, and not only, not only does he, I mean, that's just what we see. I mean, hey, yeah, he was, I mean, you know, I think I, that the people who subscribe to his deal, I think that they get a lot more stuff too. So, 
I imagine that he writes at least a poem or two or five a day, you know? Well, you know, what's puzzling to me with somebody who's as prolific as he is, is that you'll also, in a lot of cases, and I know that he's one and uh, my buddy in LA, um, A. Razor, um, he used to do the same thing. And, and there's many of them around who do this, but it's like, you'll see them online all day long and you know they're there and you see them interacting and you see them making posts and you see them, you know, talking about their friends, you know, upcoming event and this and that and the other thing. But then you realize too, that they also churned out about 10 poems that day, you know? It's right. Like, yeah. So how did you do that exactly? <laughs> John is a superhero, Jack. <laughs> That's all there is to it, yeah. And he's, you know, he's one of many. I don't know if you've had a chance to go and read my friend Fran yet, but um, Fran Locke is, um, she's kind of my partner in this whole endeavor. And she, she's, um, well, she's gone to move now, but she's, um, she's lives in London. And um, um, I say she's moved because she's gone and bought a place by the sea. So she's getting out of the big nasty city. Right. <laughs> so but she is, you know, she is probably even more than John, the, the, the most prolific writer I've ever known. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it, it really is amazing how people do it. And, you know, I've got the same poems I've been working on since like 2004. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how that works. I have some poems that will take years to write and some where you write it once and it's done. You know, I think it's 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 important to just listen to the process or listen to the poem, I guess. <laughs> That's true. And I think, I know in my case, it has a lot to do with where the poem actually springs from. I mean, you know, if I'm writing about something, well, all right, let's, let's say, okay, let's, um, let's say I'm going to write a poem about my divorce. Okay. Well, that's something that happened a long time ago. And that's something I'm going to write from a completely different perspective than one I might fire out today about Trump, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it just really, it does kind of depend on where it, where it comes from, too, I think. I do think that memory is, uh, you know, one of the best tools that a poet has. Most of my poems are written from memories, you know, a lot of, a lot of my poems. I agree 100%. And, you know... I, I tend to call them active memories is what I call them. But you know what the bitch about that is, is I'm finding out my memory is not as keen as I thought it was. <laughs> you know, that and, that and, is a bitch. You know, that's not yeah. a pleasing thing to me. You know? <laughs> well, uh, I think it's, it's also interesting, you know, even if you don't have the best memory, whatever your memory is, it's going to be altered by time in some way. And it's interesting how that translates to the page. Yeah, and I, yeah, because yeah, I mean, you, you've actually hit it because that's the thing is like the way that it actually ends up in the end in writing is not, it's never going to be an accurate like description of the event to me anyway. Right. So that might be the way I remember it and that might be the way that it comes across, but that ain't the way it was, brother. I'm, you know, that's just the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay though that's okay one thing i had to get over when i was younger was using memories to write a poem and then not being so fixated on translating it exactly how it was you know i think that the key for me in writing a poem is using something real a memory something that happened to me and using that to spring off a narrative 
No, yeah, definitely. And and I guess that's the source of those, you know, poems from 2004 is, you know, there were traumatic, um, very um, consequential and memorial and like just really transformative times in my life. And I take right. it down and write about those as soon as I could. And but, you know, those are the same things that, you know, they started out as me writing stories to document basically what happened. And yeah. in that process, I started to realize that there was kind of like this flowery, kind of well put together way of telling what happened. Hmm. And then I started the chopping. <laughs> because you know I, it, it's got to be poetry now it can't just be this long drawn out drama tale it's got to be poetry the old editing <laughs> yeah right so all this stuff went through all this like laborious process and now I've got it to the point where there's some stuff that's going to come out at some point that's going to be really good I'm excited well I'm excited to, to read those my question for you do you like editing? Because I, I know poets are on opposite spectrums sometimes. I really love just like kind of tinkering with language. It's it's kind of like a puzzle to me. It's fun. I don't know how you feel about that, but um, I I definitely like um, editing my own stuff. Yeah. Um, I took some spins at editing other people's, but I just don't feel qualified to do that. Neither um, do I. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I mean, even if I had the education to back it up, I still don't want to mess with anybody's art. Um, now, that it's doesn't a good way to put it. Yeah. Suggestions, but I don't want to be considered an editor who's going to go there and chop, you know. I just, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as far as my own work, I love to edit my own stuff. In fact, yeah. that it could be detrimental, you know. Yeah, right. I feel that as well, but there's something so satisfying about playing with language, tinkering with it so much that you get to, a, you know, a metaphor that, that really strikes you or, you know, an image that is just so evocative. You know, there's something that I can't even explain the feeling that arises when you get to that point. Uh, but I also understand what you're saying that you can edit to death, you know, <laughs> edit too well, much. And, I mean, it's not an either or situation either. I mean, look, you know, I, you know, just because I described it that way doesn't mean I'm disagreeing with the way that you choose to do it. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think, I mean, what you're asked is a really general thing and there's no general answer. I mean, my own stuff, I'd love to ch play with it, but no, I'm not going to edit somebody else's. Now, do I do it because I like playing with words? I mean, look, the real answer to that, as far as I'm concerned, is I write because I want to be heard. Yeah. You know? And, right. and look, there are true, deep psychological reasons why that is. <laughs> okay, I'm mean, look, right. I mean, that's the truth, you know. And so I might edit the shit out of something to make sure that the message gets across. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to change the nature of the content. Yeah, or, right, right. You know, right. I mean, that very easily lends itself to taking that metaphor and building around it. I do that. Look, constantly. I'm going to tell you the honest God truth. We can sit here right now and you can see there's words that go sideways and there's words that go upside down. All right. But what you could, what you would notice is if you could actually see that 
is that most of those things that you see, whether they're going sideways or up and down or diagonal, is a phrase. Okay. Right. And it's yeah. something that crossed my mind or I heard it when it came across TV or it, you know, and look, you know, it's something I know I got to build on it at some point and it will show up at some point. I guarantee it. And I, the, the, you know what the sad reality is though, is I have notebooks full of those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's something that I realized as I was growing up as a writer, I used to, you know, think of an image or a setting or, you know, maybe like a metaphor. And then I'd feel forced to write a poem based around that in the moment. And what I've realized now, I, I have the same thing. I have notebooks full of just three lines or two lines or one line. And, but eventually a lot of those lines turn into a full poem and it just takes time. And that's something that's hard for me about poetry is the patience uh, that it takes to write a good poem. It takes a long time for me, at least, I don't know. Well, and then, and, you know, I mean, that's the dichotomy there, though. I mean, that's, you know, uh, is that the right word? You know, all right. We so, so we start off talking about somebody like John Dorsey who can write 10 poems a day, okay? And then, then here we come, okay? And now we're talking about God. It's just, you know, you got to get it right and you got to worry about this and kind of worry about that. Okay, so how does a guy like me or you get to that point? Yeah. <laughs> it, honestly it depends on the poem for me some poems are John Dorsey-esque well where I feel you know this euphoric rush of I need to write this poem now and I'm going to finish it and even if it's not perfect I don't care because I'm human and I'm not perfect uh, but then there are some poems where I'm like this this has real potential and I, I see this metaphor but it's not the way I feel it I need to tinker with it more so it really just depends on the poem i guess you know yeah i go i go back and forth constantly <laughs> so i guess really what you're trying to say is that we don't have a freaking clue what we're doing <laughs> no idea at all jack but what Yay. the hell why, all right so i'm not alone yeah <laughs> all right so um how do you want to do this man you want to read some stuff now or or um no, nah, let's don't. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how you came to be in poetry, but, you know, I mean, I first heard you read, I mean, God, what was it? It wasn't even a month ago, I guess. And yeah, because yeah, you tuned into John John's podcast. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was that night. Yeah. And I, I definitely was intrigued with the poetry, but, you know, there was little bits and pieces at that point that, that kind of indicated you had a life that was going on that wasn't just about poetry. Right. I mean, look, I knew that you weren't the guy who went and chopped, you know, um, punched a clock at the factory and then came home and wrote poetry until 1137 p.m. every night, <laughs> fed the cat and went to sleep. Not me. I knew nope. that wasn't what you were doing. So tell us what you are doing. Yeah. So uh, I run Arizona Jews for Justice's unsheltered outreach program, which is called AZ Hugs for the Houseless. And I go to different cities every, every day, every couple of days. Um, and I bring folks meals and essential items like sanitary products, you know, these little care packs that the community puts together. Uh, but a big part of our, our project as well is to bring items that, you know, will give people a little joy. So their favorite book, you know, or their favorite meal, like Applebee's, I bought someone, brought someone uh, 
a steak dinner with broccoli from Applebee's because it reminded them of home a few weeks ago, you know, or art supplies, you know, stuff like that. So it's the humanity of it for us, you know, being a friend, being there when someone needs a ride to see their mom, to a job interview, to wherever they need to go. You know, it's honestly, I could boil down the project to it's, you know, we're trying to be a friend to show people that we care and they're not alone because, you know, experiencing homelessness is one of the most difficult and scariest things that a person can go through in this life. Um, so if we can be there for a little support, to spread a little care and love, then uh, I'm happy. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I cannot tell you, you know, coming from a recovery background, um, you know, that whole process starts with me being willing to do some things differently. And the end result of that process is I end up, you know, getting to a point where I'm blessed enough that I can spend time being of service to other people. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, people don't understand going into it, that that's what it's really all about. And that's probably a good thing, but um, what it does do is it cements a little bit of truth. And so I guess my point is, is that, you know, that means that, you know, once you've seen that or once you've lived through that or once you understand that the payoff in all of this really is the opportunity to be of service and that that's where the payoff is going to come, no matter what you have in your bank account. Yeah. Um, that, you know, maybe everybody will decide to get their hands a little bit more dirty a little bit more often. And, and, you know, that's the way I've always looked at it because anybody, if you've come to a point, you know, look, the deal is most people who would can write a check, you know, yeah, and that's what they'll do. And they'll alleviate that little bit of guilt that they have because they got that Mercedes in the parking lot. <laughs> okay. And that's okay. You know, um, yeah. You know, one thing that I've realized, I think it's a, it has a little bit more long lasting value if you actually go and get your hands dirty, though. And if you go out of that way to take that person to make sure they make it to that doctor's appointment or that they have the food stamps that they need or that, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, some of my best friends in the world are currently living on the streets tonight, you know. I, I see all these people every couple of days and they're amazing people. They're creative people. They're loving people. And I love having conversations with them and hanging out with them. And uh, it's been a true blessing for me. But one thing I've realized is that most people want to get involved in whatever capacity they can. You know, th this project is community funded. You know, people donate their time, their money, their resources every day. People will message me and uh, that's what's beautiful to me is that it's it's really cool to bring the community together for for this common goal. Yeah, and I have to be honest that you know on the days when I find myself getting a little bit burned out and what this whole world is is doing to itself, um, you know, I find it difficult, man. And and look, you know, I also learned a long time ago that the only way that's going to go away is if I go out there and do something for somebody else, quit worried about what I ain't got. Yeah, I'd love to think that I'm able to do that, but I'm not, you know, and but I know that I can. <laughs> right. So right. I know that I know that because I went out there, I went out there and I learned it and I did yeah. it and I got the results. Yeah. 
that's all people like me and you can do is make sure that other people do go out there and learn it and they'll make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Social Yet Distance is sponsored by the Emotional Orphan in the form of production support. We hope that you'll continue to help us grow the show through the purchase of merchandise at Redbubble or some books or broadsides at Gum Road. You can find links on our anchor page and on all our social media. Thanks. You know, I, again, the bottom line is that uh, this ain't really all about me. Um, I guess I'm curious to know, though, how that shows up in your work. I mean, I mean in, in your writing and in your poetry. Yeah, I mean, I think that the work that I do with those in the streets makes me a more empathetic person, for sure. It causes me to slow down, definitely, in whatever I'm doing in life and just try to be more thoughtful of my actions, I guess. But I've definitely written poems about the experiences that I've had. And, you know, I've had a lot of experiences. Um, this next uh, chat book, I'm hoping it'll come out this summer. Not sure. Who knows? But whatever happens, happens. Um, but each poem is based off of a different experience that I had with with a specific person on the streets. And, you know, the goal is to kind of tear down the stigma around homelessness and show more people that, you know, those in the streets are human, too, and they're valuable. They're necessary. And, you know, they're amazing. You know, <laughs> um, that's the goal of it. So I'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I definitely write poems about it because sometimes my emotions are just so high when I'm out doing this work that I need to alleviate it in some way. And writing has always done that for me, whether that's with mental illness, whatever I'm going through in my day-to-day -day life or this work that I've, you know, that I want to commit my life to. Right. So you say, all right, so let's grab that phrase as it just went flying right by work that you want to dedicate your life to. So when you say that, what, how does that manifest in your vision? Whatever I end up doing in my life, you know, I, I just turned 21. I'm still, who knows what I'm going to do 20 years from now, you know, but whatever it is, I know that I'm still going to be out on the streets uh, with my friends. You know, I, I, that's a personal goal for me. I'm going to make that a priority in whatever way I can um, because I care about these people. And I think that it's really valuable to, to at least give it a shot, you know, try to be a friend. Yeah. I, Something that I really care about. Well, you actually answered the question and because I didn't ask it very clearly. I mean, I guess what I was asking is, I mean, does that mean you're studying, you know, sociology and you're going to end up, you know, building some big nonprofit that's going to go, you know, solve homelessness for the entire world or something? Or does that mean that no matter what Austin Davis decides to do in the future, he's, he'll be in there getting his hands dirty regardless? Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love to grow the project and I would love to start a shelter or something eventually, you know, with the, with the, the help of a lot of different community members, you know, everyone pitching in. That's a great goal. I would love to do that. Um, who knows what will happen, though? You know, I, one thing I've realized is I'm, I'm changing every year, you know, uh, mm -hmm. every, everything changes and I'm just along for the ride. But I do have my morals to hold on to and I have my goals and that that's important to me. 
yeah well it has to be and and you know after a certain point in my life it became extremely important too um you just had all we got at the end of the day you know well yeah it is and and but you have to be careful not yourself not to set yourself up and that's that's you know that tends to be my issue is i'll set myself up and and that's and the way i do that is i don't make it clear and that's i guess the nature of my question is you know you know it does this mean that you're thinking something long-term and professional or does this are you making a spiritual statement here and the answer is both <laughs> that's what i was going to say i think both you know yeah. i want to i want to make this my life my life a lot which, of that which poetry. indicates that you know damn good and well what you got and and you know you got it figured out and that therefore no need to worry about it austin's gonna be just fine <laughs> <laughs> thanks jack i try my best you know i but that along with making art you know i i've always wanted to to balance the two you know community outreach and creating art and supporting artists uh, you know artists on the street that's a that's a big goal of mine is to you know bring the supplies to those in the streets so they can create that's that's actually what we're we're doing next weekend is bringing out a bunch of art supplies like sketch pads and colored pencils paints canvases and just letting people have that release you know the ability to create because one thing i've realized is some of the people on the streets that i've met and become friends with are some of the most creative people i have ever met in my entire life jack like amazing poets amazing painters Mm -hmm. And if we can support that in some way, then fuck, let's do it, you know? <laughs> oh, I agree 100%. Look, I, I mean, there are a couple of guys in, in, on the West Coast. Um, and, well, I mean, I'm thinking of two in, in particular who, one, for years, did a creative writing program in the prison that he graduated from. And then uh, another another did a similar thing in a, a much much bigger um, halfway house kind of program uh, recovery. I love that. Yeah, supporting un- incarcerated artists is really important as well. So yeah, I mean, so you know, there's definitely opportunities there. But my point is, is that even coming from, I mean, several of the better poets that I know, that's exactly where they came from. And several of the others that I know, that's where they were. That's where they spent yeah. their time. Was yeah, you know, going life, back life. into that prison and giving back to that community to help to save their ass, you know. Yeah. Even though it was prison, they kept them alive, you know. Right. You they know, went, and, they and one thing that I've learned is that most people on the streets have been affected by unforeseen circumstances. Mm-hmm. And most people in America right now are a few bad days away from maybe having to experience homelessness. And uh, I feel like a lot of people don't think about it that way, but we're, we're all kind of in the, in that realm, you know? Yeah. There's, I, I hesitate to use the word reset, but there is a, a shift that I believe is happening and, you know, I'll just leave it at that. There's no need for us to discuss that here, but <laughs> We got other conspiracy theories, theories to talk about here. <laughs> we got lots of stuff to cover. Oh, yeah. Lots of uh, Facebook poetry drama. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure you're well aware does exist. Yeah, you know. 
well, I think it's exciting, man. And, I, you know, I, I guess that, you know, I, one of the pre predominant principles to me is that, you know, you hear all these Zen masters and philosophers and great thinkers. And one of the things that they always get back to is this, you know, idea of balance. And, yeah. and I agree hundred percent because, you know, but I, I look at it a little bit differently and, and look, there are tools in the toolkit. There are skills and, and talents that I was blessed enough to have. And there can be a merging of those things. Yeah, and that starts to happen, then that balance that I'm seeking doesn't come from out there. It starts to come from in here. Mm. And I'm easily able to take that left brain, right brain, heart, you know, physical, spiritual, all those things and balance them out to where they get what they need to do. And if I've done that, then I don't I don't have to deal with that, all that other shit. Yeah, right. Right. And it's a process, though. Sometimes it's really hard to find balance. Yeah. And it's it's a discipline that requires practice. And that's the part that people don't get is, you you know, it takes time. Yeah. It takes practice. One, one thing I've started doing, I, I really enjoy meditation and yoga. And it's really hard for me to force myself to do it, though, because it takes practice and it takes mental discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've been trying to force myself to meditate twice a day. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do, but trying my best, you know, but it really does help my, my mental state, I think. Oh, I have no doubt. I, I have been doing that as well. I, and, and um, I also do Wim Hof breathing. Yeah. Um, and um, a lot of breath of fire. I mean, I've, I've been trying to get into the whole breath work thing too, as well, but. Um, yeah. The breathing exercises are important. Like Throughout the day, if I feel really overwhelmed or stressed, I, I do like the five, seven, five. Yeah. Yeah. Breathing thing. And it, it helps. It, it calms you down and it, it makes you make better decisions, I think. <laughs> well, and, and like, you know, we were talking about practicing and, and, and treating it like a discipline. And that, and that was kind of my point is that, you know, once when I initially started doing those kind of disciplines, it just didn't work, you know. Yeah. But it, it was taking the effort to do it, you know. And, and it takes it a kinda, while. It takes a while. Yeah. And, and then you start to notice when you're, when it's working. Yeah. You know, you start to notice when, and so now, you know, from it being a rare occasion, it's gotten to the point where now if I'm in the right frame of mind, even though I might be stressed, I can sit down and in about five minutes, I'm in and out done. You know, I love that. That's the goal know. for me. That's the goal for me. I'm not there yet, but that's the well, goal. Well, and, and that's not, you know, I mean, look, that's not DMT engaged, you know, full, full deal. You know, that's not what we're talking about here, but it'll accomplish what I need, you know, for right. that. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, again, it's, it's all about discipline and Unfortunately, I haven't been able to do that with my writing. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about you, but I found that if I force myself to write, it doesn't come out as good. I kind of just have to let myself write when I want to write, when I feel inspired. And I, I try to read constantly and just absorb and learn. But with the writing, if I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write a badass poem right now, 
it doesn't come out that way. But if I'm at the grocery store and I feel something and I write a poem, maybe it'll come out great, you know? So you just kind of have to trust the flow, I guess. Yeah. And I'm a very, very much a big believer in reading all the time because whether it's a phrase or something will stimulate and get, get those juices flowing where they might've been a little bit stagnant. And that's a great feeling too, isn't it? When you connect, when you connect with another poet on that level, like that, that's one of my favorite sensations, favorite, favorite feelings, you know, is reading a poem that I really connect with. Right. It's just, that's why I love poetry. No doubt. No doubt, my brother. So talk to us about the book. Well, the world isn't the size of our neighborhood anymore. Uh, came out in March 2020. And it's really an ode to growing up. Uh, all the hard times, all the good times, the love, the pain. And, you know, all the times you had to grow up a little too fast. Um, that's what the book's about. But it was, it was a really great experience for me writing it. But also right after it came out, I went on a little tour and it was right before, uh, you know, everything shut down and we haven't been able to perform since. Right. But in March, early March, I did like seven, eight shows, something like that in all the, a bunch of major cities in Arizona. And it was really fun and valuable for me to just travel in my van with my friends and do shows and sleep on floors. And like, I, I end up thinking about that a lot. I have been during the, during the pandemic and I'm excited for when I can tour again or do shows with other poets and me and you, Jack, we got to do a show sometime. That'll be really hey, fun. Dude, I, I would love it, man. I, I'll be honest with you. One of the, one of the missing pieces uh, for my whole bucket list thing would be a, a road trip out West where I could actually go and hit a couple of stages. And if nothing else, shake hands yeah. with everybody I've wanted to meet all these years. Because exactly. I've got tons of friends out there and extremely talented people that yeah. I've never seen them or met them, you know. Right, right, right. You know, Damien Ritchie and I were thinking, we're, we've been talking for a long time about doing like a little tour or something and like us meeting halfway in, in Dallas or right. something and, and just doing shows and hanging out and driving my van. And <laughs> like, well, yeah, I, mean, I, and, I would and love, I would love for that. that that's, that's, a goal the, that's the way that old, that old timers used to do it too, man. I mean, people, I guess say Griffin and the poetry bomb and, yeah. and, and the, you know, um, the karma bomb and, and, you know, just, I mean, uh, there's just many stories. And of course, Dorsey and uh, th- of that whole crew, depending on who was in the, that crew at, at whatever time I know, Damien, they've, they've probably gone around with um, John on yeah. several occasions, I would think. Well, you know, one thing I would just love to do, this is a dream of mine, is to just meet up with a bunch of poet friends, hop in a van or a couple vans, and just go to a ton of cities in the U.S. and not only do shows and have fun, but also do some outreach because, right. you know, there, the, the homelessness is an issue in every city in America. So imagine us going to 10 cities and going to the, the tent city in, in every, every one of those cities. And then at night doing a show and then having fun, you know, and I, I don't know that, that that's a big goal for my, for that's me. That's actually really, a pretty awesome idea. If you, if you want to know the truth. Yeah, and I'm excited because I know but that the we'll keep that to ourselves for now. <laughs> I'm I'm really excited because I know the community would come together to do that because I went to Mexico uh, a few months ago with my friend John. He has a bus, 
uh, he runs a nonprofit called Let's Be Better Humans. Yeah, and I saw we, that. Yeah, we went to Mexico and uh, brought asylum seeker, uh, asylum seekers essential items. And the community really came together for that. And everyone donated. And I know that if I was like, I'm going to go on tour with a bunch of my friends, we're going to read poems, and we're going to try to help people, people would come together and be like, that's fucking awesome. Let's do this. <laughs> Well, and I'm sure that there's, you know, whether it be clubs or coffee houses or whoever, wherever you might give a poetry reading anyway, well, why wouldn't they want to sponsor something like that? For sure. Yeah. Well, that's another cool thing is part, you know, we partnered with restaurants and other groups, nonprofits, and that, that's the way to do it is mutual aid, you know, everyone coming together for the common goal. Uh, but also, yeah, when I went on my first tour, a lot of my shows were at libraries. And right. before each reading, I would do a class for kids. And I would I would talk to kids about poetry and we'd write poems together. And uh, those are some memories that I know are going to stick with me forever because, you know, kids love to create as we do, you know, and I think it's so valuable to promote that and show kids that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to create and write and make art, you know, like, let's celebrate that. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Well, and, and, you know, partially where the kids are concerned, especially, um, you know, in this world, culture is being removed at every turn and, you know, with books and, you know, history is being replaced by a bunch of crap, you know, I mean, so, you know, to be able to offer a genuine perspective and a place to get that from an honest, unbridled resource, I think is inherently valuable um, to somebody yeah. who might not be exposed to it otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I know for me growing up, uh, for a, a lot of the, the classes that I took when I was younger, it was just really old white men that I read <laughs> and there's a lot more poetry out there that's not written by really old white men from 1848 or whatever you know <laughs> well in in 1976 the year of the bicentennial of the United States of America young Jack Varnell played the schoolmaster in a homemade production of um, who knows what, um, a colonial-esque <laughs> themed play written by my fifth grade class, which was filmed for public TV in front of Stone Mountain. Wow. In the year 1976. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I lived. So I understand a little bit about some history being changed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Wren's Nest and, and some of the places that they, you know, they presented as historical places were not at all what they <laughs> were pretended yeah. to be. So, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, part of the, like this whole podcast, I mean, part of the whole reason it exists mm -hmm. is to, I, I made a decision a couple of years ago, or I've, I've been watching this for years and, you know, I see, I've got a circle of friends who are all extremely good writers and every so often, you know, they'll put together a $10 chat book and then everybody who knows everybody, they all sell their books to each other 
and the rest of the world has no clue that those books even exist. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and how many books are people like me or you actually going to be able to buy, considering the number of people we know who write books? I mean, come on. For sure. Yeah. You know. So and I think that's why why that's that's why touring is so valuable. You know, like exactly. I, I've met a lot of people. Honestly, what I what I did, you know, I, I met some people at stores in the towns that I went to, and I was like, hey come to this poetry reading. It's free. And right. some people did. And it was really fun. And like, it's just like a chill, fun environment, reading poems, talking with people, you know, connecting in that way. I think that's so valuable. And poetry is contemporary and poetry is valuable. Mm-hmm. And if we can spread that and show the rest of the world that, then we're doing something cool, Jack. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but the, the funny thing is, is I, I, I've always noted the percent or at least how different things seem from place to place. Um, and I know that sounds really obtuse, but here, here's what I'm saying. Like Fran is in the UK. All right. And everything that they are taught and know about literature and writing and poetry and whatever starts very young. So by the time they're our age, you know, they're all, for the most part, pretty well versed in the average, you know, whoever they would teach you in England, you know. Right, right. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, there's the whole section on American poets and whatever. But th- my point is, is that that level of education in the arts just doesn't happen anymore in the U.S. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you. And entirely. it's sad. It's really sad. Because even when I went to school, art was a big deal. And like, you know, going going to choir or uh, orchestra or marching band or anything that had anything to do with the arts was awesome. And you yeah. wanted to be a part of it. And, um, it's just, you know, I think that art should be celebrated in whatever capacity. Everyone you know, should create art in whatever they way they feel comfortable, you know, it's super valuable personally to create, you know, and I think that should be celebrated more in schools. Let me ask you this. Do you find a difficulty in like, cause you'll hear me, the longer you know me, you'll hear me talk about the whole left brain, right brain thing. Right. What I mean when I'm saying, when I'm saying that is, you know, I spend half of my life in a world that's about writing code and social media and, um, you know, writing from a, a social perspective that's going to get views and attract, you know, eyeballs and, you know, how to build a business and what are the moving parts that we need. And, you know, the podcast is going to be successful. So how do we support it with merch and this and that? And so you got right. all this stuff happening over here. And then I got, I want to sit down and try to write or I want to sit down and try to do, you know, something with photography and it just to jump that gap all the time. Yeah. 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 It'll kill you. (laughs) I find a lot of what I do. Let's just say it's taxing on me. What I'm really asking is, is that something you've experienced or that you have to deal with? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, right now, yeah, capitalism doesn't support people making art. <laughs> uh, but one thing that I really love to do is at night, I, I, I like taking walks. 
And that that's meditative for me. And it kind of separates my, you know, my me creating art from the rest of the day. And I'll just go on a walk or I'll sit on my patio or I'll sit on a front lawn, you know, and I'll just sit there for a long time, leave my phone inside. And, you know, eventually some gears will start to turn and I'll feel creative and I'll notice the moon and I'll notice the way that the, the leaves are falling in a weird pattern or, you know, I'll notice a few dog walkers who are talking to themselves or listening to music or skipping right. or something, you know what I mean? And, and that'll spark something. So for me, at least, it's just sitting in my own thoughts for a while is what sparks creativity. Yeah, that's... Um... Like forcing myself to separate from technology is really important for me because it, it can be such a distraction for me personally. And it can be such an addiction too to be on your phone and to, to get enveloped in that. So I, I like, it's hard sometimes, but I try to separate myself from that when I try to create, I guess, you know? Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me, you automatically went to technology. I didn't ask about technology. I asked yeah. about brain. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, which is, I mean, that, there's something to that, though, I think. Um, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to jump that, that, that barrier in, that's going on in my brain. And you're not perceiving it there. You're perceiving the problem as the technology that you have blocking that, that gap. Like, yeah. I've got the gap that I'm trying to get over back and forth. <laughs> and you just got the technology blocking the gap. <laughs> You know, and right, so, right. so you take the technology away and all of a sudden you get all this stimulus. I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, that, that's how I feel, at least. Most of that's, my that's a very, very cool perspective, though, actually. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, you know, and I find that that's when I might. I don't know. I don't know why, but I feel my most comfortable at night when it's late and dark and quiet, I feel very at home in my body and just in my life and my mind. And Yeah, I always have. I yeah. always have. And I don't know what causes that either, but uh, I don't really care. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I get more energetic, I guess, late at night for some reason, you know, like that's when I want to write. That's when I want to create, you know, that's when I want to make something. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's the thing is like, uh, it's easy to say, oh, I'm just a night owl, but that's not really the deal. Um, yeah that's when the creativity wakes up a little bit, I think for me as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's when Even the world if I was to try to sit here and veg like at night and just kind of like check, check out Netflix. I still couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I, that would be going on, but then I'd be thinking about my phone. I would ha have yeah. to completely disengage. And that's, what's always been the piece. I've never been doing that. Yeah. So well, that's why I, oftentimes, you know, if I, uh, you know, feel a spark or something during the day, I'll write on my phone, you know, or oh, I do it, that it's always on me, you know, and there's it's it's easy because I don't always have a pen and paper. I get that um, bitch I, theory I, trained where she's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be writing all kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been trying to get Siri trained and I just can't get it right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else do we need to know? Should we read some poetry? What, what do you think? Yeah, let's read some poems. Hell yeah. All right. Let's see what I got here. 
Well, I'll start off, uh, you know, with a poem from The World Isn't the Size of Our Neighborhood Anymore. Let's see, let me find it real quick. So this poem is called Monsoon Season and I wrote it, let's see, when I was either 18 or 19. And it's one of the first poems that I really felt like I finished, if that makes sense. It's called Monsoon Season. The Arizona elements are released from their asylums in July. The wind flips through your favorite book and cries after reading the last poem. It rains and rains in warm, empathetic bursts. And unlike your cold, frightened rain, monsoon rain brings dead leaves back to life. It's the kind of rain that makes me profess my love under your window with a boombox. It's the kind of rain that flings doors off its hinges, then eases them back into place at dawn. The world isn't the size of our neighborhood anymore. We've seen starless night. We've seen starless nights where the moon went to visit Mars. We've held each other on the roof of my car and watched meteors fall from the sky but never hit the ground. Come, sip your black tea as the sky turns to rotting peaches. Listen for the lovers pillow talking and the water running down our windows. As the light collects in puddles in the street, we can only hope the storm will last more than a couple minutes. And I remember uh, first I writing like that poem, man. I was waiting for the rotten peaches. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I remember writing that poem. I used to work at a at a bookstore uh, in my in my town when I I in, when I was in high school. Uh, and after school, I'd go over to this bookstore and I'd work and shelve and read, and it was great. And I remember writing this poem because there was a big monsoon storm one night, and it kept opening the sliding glass doors. There were like sliding doors to get into the bookstore. And the wind was so powerful that it would open the doors and shut them or something like that. And I remember just thinking that's, that's insane. And I love that. And let's write a poem about that. I remember like writing a poem on my shift <laughs> during, while that was happening. So probably not the best thing to do at work, but uh, made me feel better about, you know, cause the poem's all about, you know, the uncertainty of life, <laughs> honestly at its core. Um, and I was feeling a lot of that after, you know, leaving high school and, going to college and becoming an adult and growing up, I guess. <laughs> it's a coming of age tale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what the whole book is really. The world isn't the size of our neighborhood anymore. It's all, it's kind of, it's, it's all a coming of age book, honestly. <laughs> you no, know, I can't help but think, um, and, and I, I thought you might enjoy this actually, but I can't help but think of this every time you say the name of that book. Um, when I was in high school, um, Cox Communications, which is a huge company here, yeah, they they came in. They wanted to build not a skyscraper, but probably a twelve or thirteen story building, like right around the corner from my neighborhood. And it was where a neighborhood was where I went to school, like with all these kids in the neighborhood. Uh -huh. And Cox came in and they bought every single house in the neighborhood and sealed wow. up the neighborhood. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and everybody got, you know, plenty of money and went and bought new houses and, you know, whatever. But meanwhile, there's this neighborhood with all these houses that we used to party in all the time. Right. With, yeah. with all these people 
who knew how to get in the houses that we used to party in all the time. And they let that <laughs> empty for five years. And it wow. became like, like overgrown, the whole neighborhood stuff. And we would go in there and like, it was like they still lived there. <laughs> wow. Except That's everything was all image, overgrown right? and we would go in there and do LSD. <laughs> That's a beautiful image, honestly, of this old rundown neighborhood, you know, filled with plants and grass and people doing drugs and just like that's that that's a really cool image it it really was very 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 cool and then they started construction on the building and came in and bulldozed it also (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the world is not the size of our neighborhood anymore is what i think of that's why i think of that every time yeah for sure yeah i mean i've had moments like that as well growing up seeing the old places used to you know smoke with your friends or have a beer or hang out or you know even just drive around or whatever you know things change over the years and that can be that can be weird i I live in florida again now because i got lost in the neighborhood i grew up in and caught in traffic and got so confused and so disoriented in the neighborhood i grew up in (laughs) and the traffic was so bad that I got so frustrated and then said, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And I did. I left. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because I'm crazy. <laughs> Me too, Jack. Me too. Aren't we all a little bit? <laughs> all right. Let's hear some more. All right. Well, this poem, uh, I haven't really, I haven't, I haven't read this poem ever, uh, but it's going to be published at the end of this month. Uh, I do believe either the end of this month or early April. Um, And it's from my next book and it's called Forecast. The image of you tonight stepping out of the shower with a towel around your hair will be the screensaver in my brain until the day they cut me open for science. I'm halfway out the window lighting a cigarette. You smile at me from the doorway and finger a mountain range with a wavy stream, puffy clouds and a grinning sun on the steamed up mirror as if you're hoping that if you just keep drawing, it'll thicken into a window. Your footprints on the bathroom door look like little turtles crawling back to the ocean. And in this moment, I wanna fall from our apartment on the fifth story a little less. Let's make love on the wet tile, tonguing up and down each other's bodies until we both believe that the sun will never rise or set. I had a dream that daybreak is just a camera flash and the color of our day prints across the sky, all inky and soft in the evening. I don't know the difference between what is real and what I'm most afraid of, but you've blown out the candle on our bedside table and you're crawling into bed smelling like coconut soap and the promise of a warm tomorrow. So I know I can smile for the photographer, even if he is God. Awesome. Thanks. I and smelled yeah. coke. I smelled the coconut too when you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I find that uh, sometimes love is what prompts my best poems and uh, or my most inspired writing is the feeling of love in whatever capacity that is—romantic or family or friends or you know strangers helping each other. Yeah, I, I, I got. I got one speed on that. It's unrequited. (laughs) (laughs) Ready for another poem? 
Sure, man. Keep them coming. All right. This one's called Happy Birthday. There's a yellow balloon, the color of autumn after snow, bouncing around my chest. I often mistake its rhythm for my heartbeat, so trust me, I know I can't be trusted. Let's play a party game where we have to take turns telling each other about all our fears and mistakes and take a shot each time we wish we had a time machine. We'll be blackout drunk before the guests start ringing our doorbell. Last night, I broke into my old elementary school and left a coffee mug full of wet dirt and seeds in the janitor's closet to see if it's possible for a flower to grow tall and bright under the glow of a light bulb on a string. I've always thought of happiness as being tangible, the most brilliant mango hanging from the highest branch. But if we can't even find the forest, how are we supposed to climb the tree? Each day numbs me into dismissiveness until my lips are purple from wine and I'm sitting on the patio watching the rain darken the red brick tile around my feet. Fill my lungs with hot breath and we'll blow out the candles together. Sing that familiar tune. Learn how to pop without a sound. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Yeah, that's one from the next book, uh, which I think the title is going to be Lick My Neck and Lie About the Weather, but I'm not sure yet. It hasn't been picked up by a publisher yet. So, no. See, we'll see. I, I, I say, you know, I, I think that this is the last, this was the last la round of edits, uh, last couple months. So it feels pretty complete to me. And that's kind of when I know that it's ready to send out into the world. <laughs> Until the mean old editor gets it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah you know editing editing's tough but i always try to embrace it because at the end of the day i want my poems to be as connective as possible with whoever's reading it you know and uh, i embrace all the feedback that i can get you know uh, that's what i want to leave behind is some art that'll make people feel a little less alone <laughs> i agree 100 I, I have a bad habit of um you can count on the last line in most of my work to be the, the one that's supposed to be the knockout, you know? Yeah. Right. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. <laughs> and that can be super effective too, though, is the punchline at the end of the poem, you know, where everything comes together. That's super effective. Yeah. But again, I, I don't know how much of a technique it is as much as a habit, you know, for me, right. just yeah. the way I write, you know? Yeah, I think that ending poems is always the hardest part of writing it. <laughs> yeah, titles are always an issue for me. Titles are hard, too. Oftentimes, I don't know what the hell it's going to be titled. Sometimes, uh, you know, like the next poem I'll read, I, I, kinda, I knew the title before the poem. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't happen often, Jack. That's like one in a hundred poems. It's like, I have a title and I'm going to write from it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I don't recall that ever happening for me. Yeah. Um, no, that's not true. There, there's a piece that's in process. It's called the warp lives of blameless children, which oh, I, I like. <laughs> and that's, that's because I fucking wanted to corner that name before somebody else got it. <laughs> yeah. That's a great name, man. That's a great name. Run with that. Create. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't get motivated to get the whole thing finished. That's all. It's like, three yeah. three paragraphs now but you know it's like section one section two section three it's not right. just paragraphs yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. And I feel that way too, with poems that I really like, I'm like, I want to finish this bastard, you know, but for me, at least you just got to wait till it happens. You know, maybe one day you'll be going through your life and you'll see something and then you'll finish that poem and it'll be euphoria right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that happens to me on a regular basis, which is why I'm glad that I do have a backlog of some older stuff because every time I choose to go through my list of what's what, I'll open something up and I'll read it. And I'll go, oh, you know what? I could do this. Da, da, da. Next thing you right. know, it's been yeah, an yeah. hour and it's over. You know, I feel the same way. Just yeah. got to write whenever the muse strikes and keep writing and never stop, you know? Well, and the, I mean, the theory is pretty clear. If I'm in, if I'm in the frame of mind where I'm going through a directory or I have a bunch of files that are, were meant to be published somewhere or, you know, completed or whatever, then obviously it's time to write yeah. <laughs> or I wouldn't yeah. be in, I wouldn't be in the folder. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Give us a couple more, man. I, I don't want to keep, keep too much more of your time, but let's hear. Sure, I'm having fun. Love, love talking with you, man. Cool. Well, the next poem I'll read is also from the next book and uh, it's unpublished and it's called obsessive compulsive insomniac. And it's based off of uh, my struggles with OCD. Obsessive compulsive insomniac. I don't remember the last time I slept through the night. I'm so exhausted, my bones feel like soldiers who shot themselves in war and were sent home to their families. When it's late, I walk and do drugs and end up somewhere new. Tonight, I'm at a park in a sleepy neighborhood and I miss my mom and I hate myself. I puke all over a dead bush. I could wipe it up with the greasy McDonald's napkins in my backpack pocket, but I don't. The sky is clear, the moon a purple brown. I'm not sure what that means, but if I've learned one thing in this life, anything can feel like a metaphor if you're scared enough. Hmm. And that's, that's, that, that's a big theme in this book is uh, fear, I think. And I think it's probably been influenced by the pandemic, uh, you know, where I wrote a lot of these poems, even if they're not directly about pandemic life, uh, I, you know, I felt lonely and afraid for a lot of the last year. And I think a lot of people have too. Yeah, I've been, um, I've had my ups and downs with that, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I'm trying to monitor myself real carefully and kind of keep a clear division between what really feels pandemic and what's just me feeling what I'm feeling. You know, yeah, that's a hard distinction. You know, there are unresolved issues that I know I'm dealing with that 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 um, I would be dealing with regardless. So that being the case, is it so overwhelming because of the pandemic, or is it just kind of overwhelming as it is? I don't know, and I don't know that it really matters. But I need to keep myself in check. So yeah, yeah, that's important. It's hard though. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, but. the pandemic is definitely, um, I just think that a hundred years from now, they're going to see how much we were really impacted in a lot of different ways than yeah. I mean, people who are doing what you're doing right now. And I don't, in, in fact, I'm sure that you and I can talk about this at some point, but you know, there's, I think there's getting ready to be a lot more um, problems in the areas of people being unsheltered than what we've anticipated is going to happen. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have lost their jobs uh, because of the pandemic. And, and these landlords are going to, they they don't care. They're yeah, gonna, yeah. Wow. And, and I've met a lot of people, honestly, who have said I'm, I'm new to this homelessness thing. And, and that breaks right. my heart. That's hard to hear. People who've had a, a home and a steady job their whole lives and are now on the streets. And that's not uncommon, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's tough. Well, and it was already not uncommon. And then you get, have a major shakeup event like this, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Ridiculous. All right, man. Well, um, let's uh, do another poem or so and then give out all your social stuff. And you and I can keep talking, but we don't want to uh, go forever on the on podcast. So for sure. Make my, well, just make my editing harder. Jesus. Yeah, I'm just making it harder for you. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, well, that doesn't mean I don't want to talk to you. We can sit here and shoot the shit all night long, bro. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> well, this last poem I'll read is a little small love poem. Uh, I thought it ended out a little happy, you know, for for those listening. Cool. Uh, it's called Let's Pretend. Let's pretend we're snowed in and your little home on 10th and Ash is the only dot of color in purgatory. I want to hold you with both arms in front of the flyer, fireplace and talk about why we both find slow dancing barefoot on wood floors so comforting. What do you think about on slow rainy mornings when the birds seem more valuable to listen to? What can I do when you're feeling sad to make you laugh with your whole body? I'll tell you how I take my tea if you tell me what you want to name the plants in the den. Very nice, my friend. Just a cute little love poem. Spread a little hug, you know. There you go, man. That's that's all it takes is a little bit of love, my brother. A little bit of love. That's the goal, man. So if we want to show Austin Davis a little love, where would we go and do such a thing? <laughs> well, uh, on Instagram, you can find me at, at Austin W. Davis 1. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at, at Austin underscore Davis 17. And friend me on Facebook if you find me. Love it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, I, I post poems all the time, try to do as many readings and stuff as I can just support art and spread art. That's the goal. Well, I am going to, um, I'll put all those links in the description. Um, they may not be actual live links, but the audience knows that they can copy and paste if they need yeah, to. Yeah, you can go find it. And, um, <laughs> I'm also going to put in there, I, I went through the list. i tell you the truth, Austin, I don't remember now. It might be from your website, but, um, some of the places where he had some uh, work published, Malden yeah. House, Ghost City Press, Malarkey Books, OK, OK Donkey. Yeah, yeah, that's from um, uh, I, I made a little website on. It's called Milkshake, and yeah. it's it's easy to to make a little website for Instagram and Facebook or Instagram and Twitter. So I made a little thing there, and there's a lot of poems on there and videos and all that jazz. So yeah, yeah so I'll make sure I'll put that link in there as well. Cool, thanks, man. All right, my brother. Well, I appreciate you coming by, man. And I thank you so much. And um, if if uh, we want to get one of the current books, where would be the best place or where would you prefer we get it from? Yeah, well, you can get The World Isn't the Size of Our Neighborhood Anymore from Weasel Press. You can get it from Amazon or Bookshop, all those places. But uh, Celestial Nightlight is the, the latest little published work and it's free uh, on the Ghost City Press website. So if you want to download that and, you know, there's a little... Um, link for tips and all tips go to black lives matter. So cool. uh, that's free to get some poems and yeah. If you want to check cool. that out. 
Yeah, go and go and do that, folks. I I did, and uh, it's worth your time and investment. So sweet. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Austin. I appreciate you being here, buddy. I'm gonna stop the recording now, and you and I can keep on chatting. Yeah, sounds good, man. Bye, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We appreciate it. We will see you next week. Thanks for being here. Here at The Social Yet Distanced, we sincerely hope that you enjoyed the art that we share tonight. It's kind of what we do. And we'd also like to help share your words and arts as well, so please, let's talk. Follow us on all our socials, and if you're inclined and able, consider supporting our production costs via the support section on the main Anchor page. And of course, like, subscribe, share, and smash, whatever the hell that means. And if you want to ask a question on a future episode, or if you want to leave a 60-second poem, just click on the message link on the main podcast page at anchor.fm forward slash emotional orphan and record your question or your poem in a, in a voicemail. You can also find links to our socials, merchandise, and broadsides there as well, and all of the uh, episodes of this wonderful podcast. Thanks for coming by, and we'll see you next week.